Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It is phenomenal what can be done with technology today. There's this new photo enhancing app, well, newer feature of photo enhancing app. People pay $10 a subscription, actually thinking up to $10 weekly. And it's at the top of the app charts. And that is Romini. It's a photo enhancing app. It's been around since 2019, but there's a new feature that came out this past week that is leading to some baby fever for many people, especially young women. I'll talk about that in just a few moments here. Coming up will be professional matchmaker Christina Pineda. We'll talk about what's been happening in the celebrity world in terms of some sad divorce situations. So Fia Vergara, as well as Ariana Grande, how their marriages have fallen apart. But I think some key and interesting things to take away from the marriages, everything from not wanting kids to prenuptial agreements to how long you date, how you prioritize your marriage. We'll dive into those in a little bit here on Trending, along with diving into our Theology of the Body series that we've been unpacking. And I don't know about you, I love Theology of the Body. I think it's very misunderstood, underrepresented in even a lot of the quote TOB conversation. And that is it's misrepresented because it's biblical, it's human anthropology, it's philosophical, and there's so much more than I think what it is given credit for. So I hope you'll join us even following along in reading. We'll unpack that later on and be sure to catch the podcast every single week. We post a summary of the segments of the show that we've been covering and unpacking piece by piece the important parts of Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body that I really believe is an antidote, the antidote to what's happening in the culture. And I don't say specifically Pope St. John Paul II or Theology of the Body, but theology. God is the antidote to the culture, and this is one way that is, it is represented and is very prophetic in how it addresses what's happening in the culture, even though it was written some time ago during the life of Pope St. John Paul II. So we'll dive into that a little later on. So photo-enhancing apps, I will tell you, I'm not a fan of them. They have always deeply disturbed me and made me feel uncomfortable. There's almost this inhuman dimension of it, whether it's the merging of two people's faces, making your face look a little more animal-like, or even just the cutting off of certain portions of the face, even with the contour. I'm not a fan of it. I don't use it. And when I say it makes you feel uncomfortable, it just does. There's something deep-seated inside me that is uneasy when using it. That said, I know a lot of people get a huge lark out of mixing their faces with other people. Uh, A lot of people enjoy this. And there's some really great, funny stories about this. In fact, I was talking to a family member recently. My husband's family is Lebanese. And we were talking about 
some of these emerging faces and how they were getting ready to meet a fiance of one of the family members and how <coughs> how they took the combination of the male fiance's face and one of the aunts and merged their face together and made a joke about how one of the aunts was going to be picking her up and it turned into a very 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 wooly mammoth hairy version of a person and they're trying to startle her as to what the ant would look like. It was very funny, right? So I get it. It can be a lark just to see what two faces combined together would look like. To maybe even play a prank about a family member who is coming into the family. But here's what's new. Romini recently released a new part of what is powered by artificial intelligence of image creation. And this is what has continued to keep it at the top of the charts. What's happening here is the latest feature allows you to merge together a somewhat realistic image of yourself, not just in various stages of your life as you age, but even in different phases of your life. So, for example, people have used it to see what they would look like in a wedding dress, what a woman might look like pregnant, how you might look cradling a child closely, or even what a baby would look like with a particular person. Here's what's kind of creepy and interesting. You know, this almost is kind of a blast of the past where people would imagine, oh, well, what if I married Brad Pitt or whoever the latest hunk in Hollywood is? What would our children look like? This takes it even further. You could take someone who's a stranger or someone you know, merge your face with that person, and here's what your babies could look like potentially. Now, could your babies really look like that? Potentially. We aren't God. God is God, and he will create that unique, distinct human being. So it's fun, but it's also, I think, somewhat dangerous. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But here's what's fascinating. This AI-generated child image of you and whoever that other person is, is, I think, triggering a lot of baby fever. And it's not surprising. I think there are a lot of perspectives on this. Millennials, we know statistically aren't getting married, are getting married later in life and are having fewer and fewer children. How they are perceiving themselves and looking at their hopes and goals in the near future is actually being impacted by this app. Baby fever, the baby contagion continues. Whether or not that actually comes to a baby boom or not, we'll see. But it was interesting, the Wall Street Journal's even picked up on this new trend and there's a comment from one of the Romini users in the Wall Street Journal article saying that after using the app she confessed feelings of motherhood rushed over me and now she finds herself more inclined to pursue family life. I thought that was really interesting. So here's my take on it. On this whole Romini app that can generate images of future children, children of you with a particular individual. It is I think both very hopeful and sad at the same time. Sad in the sense that I think there are a lot of people who long for children, have missed that opportunity because of their attempt at delayed fertility or absolute avoidance of having children. I think that there are a lot of people who are post-abortive who are looking and using this app saying, well, what if? I wonder what my baby would have looked like. And think about it. 
If you confuse together the images of you and someone else, they don't need to give their consent to try and create what potentially that baby could look like. Now, we know that that's not what those babies will look like or did look like who were aborted, but it's leaving, I think, women who are suffering from a real pain, whether it's from never having a child or a lost child to abortion or maybe even miscarriage. It, it has, I think, that sorrowful aspect to it. But it also has a really neat aspect. And this is, I think, something we should talk about. That hopeful picture of what would it be like to have a family. We live in a very visual culture. We love to visualize and see things. And I find, especially even with my generation, the millennial generation, I saw my peers in college. And even my peers now who are in their 30s who struggle with the idea of having children. Or were afraid of it then in college. And I was always taken by those comments. And I didn't wrestle with them too much. But I would always just look at my friends and say, you know, I think you'd be a really good mom when the time came. And it's okay if you're afraid to be a mom. You're not even married yet. It's kind of scary to think about being a single mom. It's scary to think about being a parent without a second parent. So I think it's reasonable for there to be fear and discomfort especially considering the culture we live in and the fact that there are many wounds from perhaps your own parents and how those wounds make us fearful about, well, could I ever be a father? Could I ever be a mother? I didn't have a mom. I didn't have a dad. Or maybe I didn't have a very good mom or dad. So I think there's a lot to this app that, again, touches on a sensitive point in the culture of lost motherhood lost children, the inability to have children, but also pricking that desire for children (coughs) that the culture is terrified, absolutely terrified to engage in. And I think that's interesting. I have a friend who she has children and even with the children she has, she struggles. She struggles as a mother. She struggles to connect and bond with them. She struggles with that tug and pull between motherhood and being in the career that she wants and finding greater value and thinking that she's happier at work and that she's not that great of a mom and that her husband's better at raising the kids. And the thing that changes her mindset over and over again is when someone tells her she's a good mom, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a stranger, when someone tells her she's a good mom, it puts her on cloud nine. She is ready to do anything as a parent. And so I think this is something to be taken into consideration when we look at a culture that is so disconnected with regard to not getting married, not having children. We need to help them dream about having children, to believe in themselves that they can be parents, that realistically no parent fully feels equipped to be a parent. And even the stages that each parent goes through is a new stage a new unknown, a new unknown with a particular child. Perhaps you went through one stage with one, but another child took that to that stage totally differently. I think there's so much unknown and fear, even when you're in parenthood or even with the idea or thought of it. And yet this app is sparking, I think, a lot of conversation about baby fever that could bring hope to the conversation around parenthood. And I think that's something that we as people of faith need to enter into the conversation by modeling parenthood, being honest about the toys, but also honest about the challenges. 
We need to work on exposing ourselves better to parenthood, especially if you're single or married or even afraid of it. I can tell you've never been a huge fan of children. I love my own. I also love really well-behaved children, but I'm not crazy about children. Yeah, I knew even when I was single or even when I didn't have kids yet, and even now, it's important I spend time around kids and work on my tolerance, work on building those relationships. It's important that we encourage people to have kids, that it's a good thing, that yes, it is challenging. Everything from trying to get pregnant for some people, myself included, to going through your pregnancy can be really difficult. Had a couple difficult pregnancies, especially the last one, to being honest about the day-to-day being difficult, but also seeing the joy that is always present. Just because there's trial doesn't mean there's joy and even happiness. I think that this is the open conversation that we need to have about fear and concern surrounding being a parent. And this is a pro-life perspective that will help in saving and changing lives when it comes to a culture that needs to think of abortion as unthinkable. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me today is professional matchmaker Christina Pineda from Matchmakers in the City. Christina, there's a lot going on in celebrity news But two key things have been fascinating this summer, and that is taking a couple lessons from the book of marriages that are falling apart. Some pretty young marriages. Sofia Vergara, who was only married seven years, as well as Ariana Grande, who's married two years. I want to unpack some of these stories, and I'd love to dive into Sofia Vergara's story in particular and what we can take from it as people of faith and even whether you're married or dating Lessons to be learned and drawn from these situations. Welcome to Trending, Christina. Thanks, Timory. So wonderful to be with you as always. And yes, I did want to talk about these two divorces with you because I think there's always something to learn from from a marriage that is is falling apart. And it's really interesting because you were mentioning about from on the outside, these couples seem to have it all. They have looks, fame, fortune, intelligence. And some people would wonder why, what do they not have? Why, how are they getting a divorce? But I think if we look a little deeper, we can see some of the problems in their marriages. And I think this, especially Sophia Vergara ties in perfectly with the first topic that you were discussing, because the two things that I saw were major problems in their marriage where the first one is they signed a prenup that was very all about money. And the second one was her not wanting to have children. So we can dive into the prenup thing first, if that is okay with you. Yes, let's dive in because these are two topics I mean, that collide directly with the vows we make as Catholics. When we enter into the sacrament of matrimony, we make vows, right? We make vows to enter into it freely, uh, to believe that it's permanent till death to us to part, to be faithful in good times and bad, sickness and health, you know, all richer or poor, and to be fruitful, that children, that we are open to life, that children we understand as Catholics are the primary end of marriage. And right away between the prenup and not wanting kids, there's some big red alerts that even if this couple isn't Catholic, I think there's a lot to take from them. So let's unpack it. Exactly. And the church has these, has these, has these vows for a reason because that's what makes marriage last. 
for anyone, even if they're not Catholic, whatever, this is the church is universal. So it really, you can see how much it applies. And specifically with Sofia Vergara and her husband, uh, Joe Manganiello, I think that's how you pronounce it. But they had, they had a pretty intense prenup that protected her $180 million fortune. In, and she has recently wanted to collect that when he, because he did file for divorce. Mm. The problem with this and why most prenups, including this one, would prevent people from getting married in the Catholic Church is because of the vows and two, the two vows that these things, that the, that this prenup comes into contradiction with are the first two which have you come here freely and without reservation to give yourselves to each other in marriage will you love and honor each other as man and wife for the rest of your lives if you are putting this money thing in in as okay well just in case we get a divorce i still get to keep this you're putting something in the way of you being together for the rest of your lives and having you're putting a reservation there and if you have a reservation when you're marrying someone, don't marry the person. Take more time to discern if this person is right for you. That's what I tell people because even Catholics will come to me in for date coaching and say, I need a prenup. I work really hard for my money. And yes, you do. But then if you are nervous, if there's a lack of trust there with this particular person, or if maybe you've had issues with trusting people in the past and people have betrayed your trust, you need to either work on that with a Catholic therapist with, or work on it with the person who you're dating. Is this an issue that of the person you're dating of why you don't trust this person? Or is it something internal that you need to figure out what, how do I get over this so I can really freely give myself to my future husband or my future wife? Then you will have a rock solid marriage where you haven't kept a reservation of, oh yeah, just in case we don't work out. That's not, that's not healthy for a marriage. Mm, and I think that that's what's interesting is it's almost like having one foot out the door. You're clearly saying, I don't believe in permanence mm. because there's this strings attached idea of if things don't work out. And it's almost like you're holding divorce over the person's head because you automatically go into marriage thinking, what if this doesn't work out or with a pessimistic view that it won't? And with this idea of what is mine is mine and what is yours is yours and let's protect our assets. There's no such thing as entering into something freely because you're attached to your goods and you're not totally giving yourself. And so automatically, from a Catholic perspective, that would make, in many respects, a marriage con to be considered invalid. And so I think that's significant yes. because when we talk about marriage being invalid, that means that the marriage never existed. So if someone enters into a marriage with this mindset, with a prenup, it likely nullifies a marriage, meaning there was no marriage to begin with. Because there's no such thing as divorce in the Catholic Church. It would mean if a marriage was declared null through an annulment process in the church, it means it was never there. And so what's interesting is that the church, it's a no-go when it comes to prenuptial agreements. The only really exception is if perhaps there was a prior marriage, maybe you're widowed, maybe there were prior children, and there's something having to do with the inheritance, making sure that there was uh, something that was going to those children. That's one thing, but that needs to be transparent 
before the marriage is entered into, even in those circumstances. Right, right. And it also gets in, prenups also get in the way of the covenantal nature of marriage. Marriage is not a contract where you say, okay, I'm going to provide this and you're going to provide that. And because if you come in with that mentality, okay, so you're marrying someone so that he can provide for you, for instance. This is just a random example. What if he loses his job? Then, okay, you're saying then my marriage, I'm not, I'm, we're getting a divorce because he's not providing for me anymore. That is not what a marriage is. It's a covenant, just like how the Lord loves us. He has a covenant with us to love us freely, regardless of if we lose our job. And that is what makes a marriage stand firm, this covenantal nature, not a legal contract, just saying, if I give you something then, or just like you would sign with a contractor or someone who's working on your house. That's not what marriage is. Mm. It's a loving bond that is open to life. Mm. And it just to, I think it emphasize what you said, talking about marriage as a covenant, not just a contract. There is a contractual dimension to marriage. However, it transcends that because it is a sacrament. It is grace filled by God. And when we talk about covenants, what are covenants? Covenants are something explicitly biblical in what is a covenant in terms of defining it from a biblical perspective it's an exchange of persons it's a giving of one person to another person and so i think that's significant in that entire conversation now i want to touch on a second dimension that i think is really interesting of sofia vergara's marriage entering into a divorce and again we're giving a catholic take on understanding some of the brokenness here in the marriage culture she did get married later she got married at the age of 43 now i know there was a background of her with nick Lub having a custody battle over their frozen embryos because they had gone through rounds of ivf and he actually wanted to see those babies uh, be implanted in another woman and uh, be given birth to because at the end of the day even though ivf is wrong there's still babies there. He's still a dad and she's still a mom. And so there was a whole custody battle for seven years over this. In the end, the judge ruled in favor of Sophia in March of 2021 with a permanent injunction. Nick tried to f appeal this decision over and over again to no avail. The door was shut. And so here you go. She's been married again. Uh, she get mar it's married at 43. And the question of children was part of the reason, apparently, that they split, even though she was really in those years, it was very unlikely that she would have children. Right. Officially, Joe stated that in irreconcilable differences were the reason for the divorce. But insiders claim that he wanted children and she did not. And that was a reason. So this is just from insiders saying, just so people know. But, and this is according to Al, it does, even if children are not very likely, if you say, I don't want children and I'm not going to be open to that, that puts a stumbling block in the middle of you and your husband connecting freely. This is getting back to the covenantal nature of marriage and not holding anything back. You are holding this huge part back, even if probably you won't have kids. And then marriage, instead of having that covenantal nature, it just becomes the contract and it becomes more about you 
more about the self rather than dying to each other to help each other get to paradise and become like Jesus. That sacramental nature of marriage, it's showing, it's showing God's love. It's a physical sign of God's love for us. But instead, it does the opposite and it makes a, it makes people more self-absorbed. If they're cut off to life, it makes them more self-absorbed. And then this was another thing that the insider said, but they were saying that they were getting the insiders claimed that Sophia and Joe were getting annoyed at each other. And of course, right. there's some level of annoyance in marriage is totally <laughs> normal. You mean you don't find your spouse appealing all of the time? You know, it's interesting, though. I want to come back to the parent Sorry. side of it. Because again, Sophia was 43 years old when she entered into this re most recent marriage. She'd already done rounds of IVF with a legal battle. She does have a son that she had when she was about 18, 19 years old. So she does have children, and the reality is, is that if you want to try and have children at the age of 43, the likelihood is much less likely. And if there's pressure for her to do IVF again, I imagine she probably didn't want to do it because every person who has been through IVF, when they are transparent, and it's a very private thing, it is so harmful to their body, so psychologically destroying, that even with the process of IVF that she already went through, there's a strong likelihood that she has already uh, become premenopausal or has entered into menopause because IVF often kicks women into menopause by the super ovulation that has to occur to harvest these eggs. So the whole situation is a mess. It goes back to understanding the church calls all couples to be open to life and that with that we have to honor and respect our bodies and the years building up to marriage and even enduring and respecting that within the context of marriage. So messy situation, praying for couples, especially for Sofia Vergara and her husband as well as they work through the messiness of this divorce. We'll be right back with professional matchmaker Christina Panita. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Professional matchmaker Christina Pineda joins me today on Trending. If you'd like to check out her work, you can find her at matchmakerchristinaconti.com. That's matchmakerchristinaconti.com. Christina with no H, that's Christina, C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, Conti, spelled C-O-N-T-I. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes to her website because it's nice always to dive into things from a Catholic perspective, honoring Catholic marriage, the sacraments. And that's what I love about her take on everything that's happened in the culture as well as for your dating and relationship questions, which, by the way, if you have a dating or relationship question for a professional matchmaker, now is your opportunity. The number is 888-914-9149. Christina, we're unpacking some of the recent news over divorces in the culture. We're talking about Sofia Vergara, the Colombian actress. Now we're talking about singer Ariana Grande and her marriage that's falling apart. I think that you know people might say, okay, is this like Catholic gossip time? I think that it's important sometimes to distinguish as we're looking at these very public figures to have a little bit of perspective and understanding how what the Catholic Church says about marriage is significant, especially when we see key areas that at least 
our details we hear are coming out about the marriages that are falling apart. So what can we learn from these marriages to help in preventing divorce and even in our dating relationships? Mind when I was reading about Ariana Grande and Dalton Gomez's divorce is the question of how long should you date before getting married? People ask me that all the time. And the reason why I thought of this was because the, the insiders or their friends who had spoken to People Magazine, or Owl Magazine actually, said that they were concerned that Ariana Dal- and Dalton's world rent was a whirlwind, whirlwind romance. And they felt that their relationship would ultimately be short-lived because it was so fast. They just, the facts were they dated for 11 months before getting engaged and only one month, which is only one month short of our recommendation at Matchmakers in the City. We say that people should date for at least 12 months for a year before you get engaged. But sources also say that their relationship had been rocky at different points. And that brings up a, uh, I guess, we, in, when we re- make that recommendation, it's for a dating relationship that is in good standing, where it's generally in a good place. Of course, you have agreements here and there, disagreements here and there, but most of the time you're getting along. It sounds like that wasn't always the case for them. And it, also looking a little deeper, it, I saw that their relationship escalated quickly, especially with their busy schedules. They dated, they dated during COVID and moved in together. They got married at their home in Montecito. So they were already living together and especially thinking that the world was ending and things moved quickly for them. Interesting. And then when things started opening up, they had trouble making time for each other, which foreshadowed the issues that they had in their marriage. Interesting. And I know when you talk about waiting a year to get married, which we can dive into a little bit more. Part of to that get is engaged. You, to sorry, get engaged. Yes. To get engaged. I know part of that is because you talk about the honeymoon phase of a relationship, and especially with everything that happened with COVID or in any person's life, crises occur, death in the family sickness, you know, all kinds of things that can occur uh, can influence a romanticized stage of the honeymoon phase that can extend or shorten in some respects as well. So think something such as significant as COVID or any any other number of issues in your life can impact maybe an overemphasis on a relationship in a disordered sort of way. That's true. We say that the honeymoon phase of dating usually lasts about three months. This is the phase where you see the person through rose-colored glasses. He or she can do no wrong. Everything's happy. You're just so excited. You're on cloud nine. You've met someone. You finally found someone who likes you too. You have that attraction. And then after that three months, the working it through phase begins and that's when the issues start to arise now these phases it doesn't have to be that exact timeline three months is when you're seeing each other about once or twice a week if you're seeing each other more than that the honeymoon phase probably will be shorter than three months 
but that's just I give you the rough timeline for general working professionals who who were most of the time working with. And with this working it through phase, that's what will determine if your relationship is going to to work or not. That is a very important phase to not rush through because even if you're so excited about someone and you think that person checks all the boxes and you have it all together, this is a time where you're you're seeing if you can actually resolve conflict together well. And that's a necessary skill for marriage. So just some key takeaways. You're emphasizing you recommend a year before you get engaged and three months to work through that honeymoon season and then to see each other in different stages of the year. And I think this is significant. You have things such as navigating holidays or navigating heat, how someone performs under heat. You know, lots of different things that you could unpack. I do have kind of some questions on this, though, because I do see, Christina, a lot of couples. I know this isn't a stringent or strict rule, but I see a lot of couples, especially in the Catholic world, who are maybe getting engaged a little later. But even years prior, I think of so many people who have been married many years, or it was six months, they knew, boom, they got engaged, and they were really married within a year to a year and a half from beginning dating or even knowing each other. So if you could give a little bit of commentary on why the hesitation with waiting as long as you do. Yes, and I have seen wonderful marriage marriages come from shorter timeframes than what we recommend. However, I will say, I'm just thinking of a specific example of a couple who I was coaching who did have a very short short time for engagement. I forget the exact duration, but there were issues, even though they're very happily married, there were issues that I spoke about with the woman that we determined could have been prevented, even though the marriage was wonderful most of the time. There were issues that they were dealing with that could have been prevented if in that dating phase, they had taken more time with it because usually people are the only time really that people have the motivation to change and you don't date someone to change that person. But there are things that can change if you're going to get to that, to the next level of commitment. And sometimes they have to change before you can get to that next level of commitment. Maybe for instance, this is not the same story of a couple, but the woman doesn't want the man to smoke at all. And the man enjoys cigars with friends, but she, that's a deal breaker for her. That's something that can change in his life that she may say, I can't move forward with you to the next phase of the relationship unless we that is ended in your life. He, if they're married already, that's, that's not, it's, that would be much more difficult to change. Mm, so we like to say you have the, four, just like you mentioned, you see the person in all four seasons, whether it's seasons, just physical seasons or even spiritual seasons, ups and downs. There's mm-hmm. a lot that could happen in a year. You can see if maybe how the person deals with loss in his family or friendships. A lot of things will come out through in that time for in giving that time is very right. important. Also, time is a very important part of discernment, too. Mm. Uh, And I think that is key that when you talk about discernment, that we allow 
discernment to be a part of that. And there's a difference between prolonging and avoidance and dragging your feet versus taking a good healthy amount of time to discern. Now, I want to talk about a different element of the Ariana, Ariana Grande a marriage separating from Dalton Gomez after two years. And that is the career woman, also kind of that powerhouse that we see in the culture of what happens when we see the traditional Catholic viewpoint that's not just a 21st century 1960s perspective of marriage but has been there since the dawn of the creation of Adam and Eve that we understand marriage has a certain level of order and authority and structure and part of that has to do with the man leading and the woman following. I know this is controversial yet this is church teaching. I mean, read Ephesians chapter 5. You can't get around it. St. Paul images this and points to Christ and the church in this example. So talk to me about the challenge that we're seeing in the culture today, both in dating and marriage, and perhaps in Ariana Grande's marriage falling apart, of that strong personality of the woman and the challenge in how that dance of the two occurs. Definitely. And yes, Ariana Grande is definitely a powerful businesswoman to be able to get so far in her career, I think women can learn from this and think about as a woman in charge, it's hard to take a back seat and let the man lead. And matchmakers in the city, most of the time we are working with people before they get to marriage, but we do recommend that women remember to let him lead in dates Usually that has to do with letting him be chivalrous, letting him open the door for you, letting him be the pursuer in the relationship. In marriage, the same holds true, but instead of just letting him pay for the date, for instance, women also should allow her husband the authority to make the major decisions and have the final say for the family, which is even more difficult than the little things of pursuing and chivalry. It's another level. And that may have caused some tension and stress in Ariana Grande's marriage. I don't know if it did, but I suspect it must have. And either way, it's a trend right now. And I I think that's key, Christina. It's a, a trend. It's hard for us as women to let go of control, whether it be education we receive, how we're working in the workforce, how we're taking care of ourselves, uh, to get out of the way in a certain respect and allow that space for a man to lead and to guide a relationship is key. You know, I hear from a lot of women and I experienced this myself. There is joy in following, but it's hard to get out of the way. It's hard to say, well, I think or no, maybe you know something would be better done a different way or done by yourself. But allowing him the space to figure it out, allowing him the space even to do it differently. And I find that there's joy in your state in life as a wife and a mother, or even when you're dating, when you start to enter into that dynamic of allowing the space for a man to step into his role as a leader, protector, and provider as he's called to. Those are God-given missions. That is true. There's joy in letting go of some of that authority, definitely. And it's also how the man feels respected. He can lead the family, especially in terms of faith, and how then the children see the their father as a leader in faith, and they can they stay, most frequently stay in church when the father is the one leading the family. 
And if a woman does take up that authority, the man feel, men usually feel emasculated. They take a back seat, they become passive, and they don't lead. Mm -hmm. So it's right. very important for the man, but also important for the woman because it's very stressful to have to be t leading all the time. And it's not our, it's not our calling for, it's not our calling. It feels wrong. Right. I, I agree. And I think that's finding that peace and joy and understanding there is peace and joy when we step back and that there is a transition phase and allowing that to be counter to whether it be up upbringing, culture, education, that that is a God-given mission. That is a God-given vision for marriage. And he's got the blueprint for our lives, not us. And joy is a virtue. And that is what dis is discovered when there's proper order and relationship and this is part of that order and that hierarchy within the context of relationships you're listening to trending with tim ray here on relevant radio with professional matchmaker christina pineda christina we have a great question coming in uh, right now i want to take it in just a moment when you come back because it has to do with diving into dating especially if perhaps you're a single parent what does that look like especially as a catholic we'll be right back here on trending talking about what you're thinking about you're listening to trending with timory on relevant radio and the relevant radio app welcome back to trending joining me now is celebrity and professional matchmaker christina pineda with us giving her catholic take on the culture we're taking your questions rose from phoenix arizona is on the line single mom and catholic i'm guessing catholic are you catholic rose share with us your question for christina today Yes, I am Catholic. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a four-year-old, and um, I'm, I'll, I'll say it, I'm 32 years old, and it's hard for me to date, especially with a, being a single mom, and I'm just now, you know, learning about my faith, and well, not, well, learning and taking it to a next level, being very intentional about my faith so i was just asking wanting to ask how do i where where do i go from here how do i start dating again mm, rose this is a great question and praise god you know being a single mom it's hard especially as a catholic i feel like there's not a lot of support uh, if you're a single mom within the catholic church and praise god for choosing life and let's dive in with christina on how to navigate that now as a single mom and in your early 30s dating like a Catholic. What does that look like, Christina? Hi, Rose. Thank you so much for your question and bravely calling in. And I, this is such a good question. I think a lot of other women can learn from, from your experience too. One of the things that I like to tell single parents is to be, to go at dating very slowly, especially. I, I want most people to date Slowly to begin with. I don't want you to move quickly into a relationship. We say three months at the minimum before making a relationship exclusive. And dating in the Catholic way, that includes getting to know someone very well in different situations, in groups, sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, but also saving yourself for marriage 
with in terms of intimacy and matters like that, of course. But then the other things of specifically for single parents is I would recommend do not bring men home. And it's so hard for children to be around a man who isn't actually going to be her future dad. So that's why I also recommend not introducing your daughter to a man until the relationship is at the very least exclusive. And it could be anywhere from exclusivity to engagement. And you really could see yourself marrying this man. And that's where this relationship is headed unless something else strange comes into play that you weren't expecting because it's very difficult for children. But it could be wonderful. And you just have to proceed with caution like you would in any other normal dating, dating experience. I would recommend for you to go to one night, just go to one, get to know people, go to one night out, one night event per week. And if you don't have a babysitter or a mother's helper who you trust already, I'd recommend getting someone who starts as a mother's helper so you can be around and get to know this person and make sure that you trust this person with your child if you're going out to an event or going on a date. And obviously your child is is top priority right now. So you want to make sure safety is first with everyone and background checking anyone who you would go on a date with and anyone who you're meeting. Very, very, very important. And those are my, I guess, my first tips. I'll dive in a little bit here too. And Rose, we'd love your feedback, especially when you mentioned Christina, making sure you go out at least one night or one event per week there. And maybe this is in a church setting, maybe not, but I'll just mention in parish settings, maybe you can't avoid, afford a mommy's helper or a babysitter and don't have that family support. I know there are good parishes that have events and you can find a community where they'll have babysitters for sometimes some of the events where, you know, the baby can be watched for an hour or so or however long it might be. So that might be something to look into at some of the different parishes nearby and seeing if you're comfortable with that. Because, you know, there's nothing like another great bulldog mom to help watch your kids at a Catholic event. I've seen this happen a lot before. So maybe just something uh, to think about as well in that area. Rose, any thoughts or questions on that? Well, yeah, I thank you for the advice. Um, my, yeah, my main concern is, well, my main uh, trouble is, like, where do I go? <laughs> um, and I, I have a couple of friends uh, that can babysit, and Great. it's always okay. been, like, very, very troublesome to make sure that I find someone who is taking their faith seriously mm-hmm. as I am mm-hmm. and that's where it's been kind of falling short with some guys <laughs> it's like oh well he's not sure. really taking it seriously and you you know yeah. um and that's my biggest thing like is to raise her and future children in a, a good Catholic home yes yeah, I just right. off my top of my head, Christina, and if you're thinking about this too, Rose, I'm thinking trying to do something like on occasion, making it to daily mass, spending some time, even when you feel so awkward, maybe after mass, lingering to meet someone, not being afraid to say, Rose, hey, I'm a single mom and I am interested in dating. I think there's a beauty to that. And 
Let me tell you, when you let your Catholic community know sometimes, especially a lot of the more mature women in the community, you'd be surprised how they step <laughs> I was forward. just going to say that. I, I'm just thinking that, you know, don't be ashamed to say you're a single mom and you want to date a good Catholic man. I think sometimes the worst thing that gets in the way when dating Rose is that we don't say that we want to get married, that we're open to being introduced, and that we want kids. Those are all really important things to say and to proudly say that and to be proud of yourself in the midst of whatever your circumstances are. You're raising your four-year-old daughter and you're looking for a good, healthy environment for her with a future marriage. Yes, and I think you should make that a deal breaker, Rose, that you want to be with a man who is going, who is taking his Catholic faith seriously. Yes, make that a deal breaker. And it might look a little different. He might not pray the same way that you do, but a man who is is in line with the Catholic Church and in line with the Catholic faith, that is what you're going is going to separate the men from the boys as you're mm-hmm. dating. And I would say look for mentors within your Catholic community and even if perhaps you have not found that at your local church, don't be afraid to go and find a church where it feels like home. You start to make those relationships. You get involved in some of the community because I'm not saying that you're going to meet someone at mass or that you're going to meet someone at a particular Catholic event, but that you're going to meet mentors who can support you and encourage you and help introduce you to people to help be your eyes and ears for someone good to meet. I completely agree, Timory. And I think that, oh, sorry, my Little baby oh, is wanting to feed right now. It's baby. Christy, we'll let you off the hook. Your baby's waiting for you, but I will take a couple more comments with Rose. If you want to find Christina Pineda, who, by the way, just had a baby, I think it was January or February? February. February. Her second baby boy in February. But if you want to check out her and her work, check her out at matchmakerchristinaconti.com. That's Christina Without an H, it's C-R and Conti spelled C-O-N-T-I. You can find her as well. We post the link on social media as well as in the episode notes found at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Rose, there's so much to unpack in what you're sharing. I'm so happy that you called. A couple more things. As you're a single parent, 32, looking to date, wanting to provide a stable, faith-filled environment, a good man for your daughter and future children, And just something I want to throw out there, I think so often I see uh, with women who have had children and you're jumping into the Catholic dating world, don't throw chastity out the door. Just because you've been there, done that, have had children, hold yourself accountable and the person you're dating, that you're saving yourself for marriage. And if this is something special you want to honor yourself with, your existing daughter and your spouse, I really want to encourage that because I see a lot of people sometimes give in or just not care anymore but part of dating as a catholic no matter where you've been in your past no matter if you have children or not is realizing how special you are as a human being and honoring that within the context of marriage and for your marriage so rose i'm praying for you and i just want to tell you rose you've got an army of prayer warriors right now praying for you i'm encouraging everyone to offer hail mary for rose and all our other single parents who are trying to navigate parenting and finding a good healthy environment and spouse for their marriage. So take care, Rose. Thanks for reaching out. Up next, Family Rosary.